Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the second episode of Quintessentially Queer. I am your host, George Rallis, and we are start- starting now, full throttle, the curation of this series of podcasts that Quintessentially Queer is. In case you haven't listened to our first podcast, you can find it on every platform, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify, with Uva Radio, and you can follow me on uh, social platforms uh, under Gravity Grave. So, let's get into it. The second episode will be about Club Kids, where we have a very special guest, Chelsea Boy. Say hi, Brian. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And before that, um, I shall give you a small little introduction into the Club Kid movement and how that shaped queer nightlife and the queer visual aesthetic in the 90s. So, let's get a little bit serious before we get a little bit intimate with Brian. So, functioning within a Western discourse, right, it's safe to assume that as individuals, we all live our lives uh, within specific confines, call it gender, sexuality, jobs, whatever that is. Certain expectations and realities are made available to us and established through different institutions, institutions that seek to solidify the continuation of this uh, Western historicity and the familiar, as we know it, as being linear, concrete, and non-changeable. The social contract, though, which we all sign unwillingly and unconsciously, implies a white heterosexist and very gendered integrity, which the vast majority of people cannot actually live up to, especially queer individuals. Thus, when taking into consideration the queer identity, it would be safe to assume that individuals, especially those in the public eye, are affected by a profound sense of, uh, let's say, loss and subordination, which they have to succumb to or either, like, um, get over. The inscribed melancholia within this familiar representation of queer individuals is usually allied and uh, paralleled to social passivity and a sense that there's nothing that could actually be done about this unfairness. But as it's illustrated in the 20th and 21st century, most queer individuals within the public realm succumb to this intense objection and are actually victims of unspeakable and tragic failure. And that was actually the reason of the LGBT movement and pride, which I talked to, which I talked about in the first podcast. So um, this prefabricated image, though, that's inscribed by the social contract is rarely reiterated and reimagined as it was done, for example, through the club kids movement, right? There is a historical lineage through which the queer image can be seen um, to have evolved, as in um, historical representations of masochistic religious martyrdoms, where it's always the doomed homosexual that is HIV positive and is like super sad, through romantic lyricism about, let's say, forbidden love affair, or being the mistress in like a hetero wedding, marriage, sorry, or medical pathology and psychoanalytic trauma and urban alienation caused by the fact that you have dad issues and you just want to fuck your dad. When in reality, maybe you do, maybe you don't, you know? And it's fine either way. Not fucking your dad, having dad issues, sorry. However, if this badly represented image of queer individuals is the familiar, and it is what we know, then the reappropriation of those set stereotypes would be the unfamiliar, and as Heidegger would claim, the unhomely. If at one extreme, right, the stereotype represented um, is a definite misery alongside queer pervertedness, um, at the other point, it offered an image of holy sensitivity, fabulous good looks, an overwhelming erotic experience, and actually an escape from the dreariness of real manliness or womanhood, 
All of which a queer individual may have felt that um, some unreasonably socially induced suffering was actually a small price to pay for those things. Because, I mean, I'm sorry, honey, you might have stability and normativity, but we have glitter and orgies, so deal with it. This exact irony of reappropriating the stereotype and the confines within themselves could be paralleled with finding one's own within this unfamiliar realm that we call queerness, right, and non-normativity. The unhomely, as Heidegger would say, of the established queer identity could arguably be the camp behavior, specific queer individuals like myself and like Brian, right, uh, follow both as an aesthetic response to stereotypes, but also as an artistic political resilience to those stereotypes itself. So the notion of being camp, what is it? And I'm not talking about the Met Gala because that was kind of sad, right? Did you actually watch it? Uh, I didn't watch the actual Met Gala, no. Oh my God, it was so... Well, I mean, there were some cute outfits, but it wasn't like yeah, that... Um, I always love to like do the outfits. But the outfits were sick, yeah. but not all of them. Anyway, let's get into camp though. So the notion of being camp implies a highly feminized way of carrying oneself, both on the surface, but also intrinsically within the community itself. And I'm talking about the way you move within the community, not the role that you occupy as a fixated essentialism or as an identity. It provides a sense of identification and belonging, which has as its premise the reversal of both expected behavior and acceptable appearance. Whether that be blue hair, whether that be like a leather corset, whether that be being super hairy and having glitter over your body, or even just being a butch lesbian, you know? One of our greatest problems is that we're cut adrift for most of the time in a world that is drenched in straightness. All the images and language of society express and confirm the righteousness of heterosexuality and the impossibility of drifting away from the, from the contract's clauses being heterosexual and being heterosexist. Camp thus is the notion which expresses and affirms being queer. As a notion, it goes beyond mere appearance and self-presentation as the appearance itself right, hides within it a notion of self-defense and of um, just taking back the fucking night. The fact that queer men and individuals in general could so sharply and brightly make fun of themselves meant that the real awfulness of their social situation could be postponed. And it's also like a part of reading, you know what I mean? We love reading one another because it comes from a place of love. Camping about thus is a way of being human, witty and vital without conforming to the dropness and rigidity of the hetero role. Having within it a sense of visual overabundance, both in behavior, while also in appearance, camp implies an awareness of cultural production, which is more oriented to the affective, sensuous, and experimental dimension of humanity and experimentation with sexuality rather than a fixated identity. It uses loud colors, louder behaviors, and even louder opinions to make queer visibility a notion of political substantiality rather than just a sexual orientation. Hence, there is a huge weight of importance placed upon appearance since appearance in itself is both a way of sustaining the queer community itself while also reappropriating the struggles and difficulties the community has endured until its own legitimacy. Queer men and queer individuals in general had to be good at disguise and at appearing to be one with the crowd. They had to master the facade of whatever social setup they found themselves in in order to hide the fact that they have declined this holy grail of masculinity or womanhood, you know? Hence, 
the development of a deep appreciation of appearances, forms, and style would actually be inevitable. It's just in our DNA. I always joke around. I mean, obviously, it's a problematic like opinion, but I say it as a joke. Like, honey, just come with the gaze. We know fashion, we know makeup, we know cocktails, and we know parties. You're going to have a great time. You're going to feel amazing. You're going to look great while doing it, you know? So don't hate, participate. So respectively, right? Um, when developing queer culture, such a habit of style should have remained dominant as to show not only the process of disguise queer men had to undergo, but also the skill required within a beautifully curated idea that is expressed artistically. In this way, what is verified is the exact notion of unhomeliness and the unfamiliar, which Heidegger was talking about, and I personally believe is the foundation of the queer identity. Queer individuals, by using forms of art, like fashion, like performance, like dance, and any other stereotypically gay art form, and through an encounter with a foreign heterosexuality-constructed stereotype that was marginalizing them, uh, they have reimagined the homely and this familiar, which they originally didn't belong to, as actually being the unfamiliar. So it's like they created their own home within this like margin of society. So as Heidegger argued, the human being is not the adventurer who remains homeless on account of his lack of rootedness. Because the more rooted you are, the more homeless you actually are, because you don't really know anything around that. An adventurer, though, is someone who, in accordance with his and her rootlessness, dives within foreign worlds to find their own, and through creativity, continue becoming within those worlds as a new person each time with this encounter. In the same respect, the Club Kid movement has managed to reappropriate in queer and calm creative terms, all expectations regarding appearance, representation, and partying. But let's get a little bit into the club kit movement, right? Before we actually move on with uh, another song and with our talk with Brian. So the club kit movement began in the late 80s after the death of Andy Warhol. With the death of a persona as artistic as Warhol and the end of Studio 54, there was an artistic drought in New York City nightlife. Usually, queer culture is conjoined with nightlife through a symbiotic relationship. For queer individuals, a club is a hub to express the things that they were not meant to be seen in daylight. Thus, if homosexuality was seen as a deviant behavior, then the club kids took that to a completely different level, actually, by being super unapologetic about it and super flamboyant. They were the rejects of society that were inspired by the hyper-capitalist consumer society that the early 90s dictated in the West. It was a form of social critique of the then social order, yet also being heavily inspired by it too. After Warhol's death, Michael Alig, who was the founder of the Club Kid movement, created the party Disco 2000. Alongside personas like James and James, Jenny Talia, and Amanda Lepore being the most famous of them, the Club Kids took mainstream media by storm, appearing on numerous talk shows, on television and publications. The parties took on a crazy underground pulse to the next level, by asking the residents to dress up in an outrageous way and even having different contests for the partygoers to compete in, like getting naked on stage or even drinking their own urine. They caught everyone's attention with their glittery outfits that were absurd and decorated themselves with feathers, beads, and any other kind of fabulous accessory. In general, they were adding to their look any item they could find that could ultimately add to their fantasy, creating looks that were not human but more so like creatures or out-of-this-world like fantasies, you know? The words, I guess, that would be appropriate to describe a club kid look would be agender, extraterrestrial, and subversive. It turned into a sort of cult of crazy fashion and petulance. Um, there's also a documentary about it as well called Party Monster, and there's also a movie about it too. 
And Michael Cousteau, that's actually a fashion critic right now, was part of the Club Kid movement, and he wrote a super cool book about it. And um, he describes it as, they are terminally superficial, have dubious aesthetic values, and were master manipulators, exploiters, and thank God partiers that loved drugs. It was a statement of individuality and sexuality, which ran the gamut, and it was a form of tapping into an inner fabulousness within themselves and bringing it out. So obviously, this attracted like a very like highbrow of attention, you know. There were a lot of prominent music personalities, like Bjork, actually, that was frequently seen hanging out with the club kids at the time. And parallel to that, with techno and the incoming rave scene being part of it, fashion began to soften into an ambiguous gender-fluid style, which melded references to the club kids with skate, indie, hip-hop and grunge. Thus leading to brands began, begin casting street models and club personalities like the club kids in shows, campaigns and music videos. Actually, actress um, Chloe Sevigny emerged from a group at this time and frequently modeled together with the club kids for brands like Calvin Klein and Jean-Paul Gaultier, who actually still to this day is very affiliated with like nightlife and club kids. And actually, they were part of also various editorials that showcased rave versus club kid style for magazines, including Paper being the most uh, famous of that. But before we move into our interview with Chelsea Boy, my friend Brian, let's go into Blind by Hercules and the Love Affair. Hercules and the Love Affair, and the song was Blind. Hello, Brian. Hi. Very glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Of Thank course. you for the great introduction. <laughs> that was a beautiful um, uh, piece about the Club Kid history. Thank, Thank you. you. I try my best. Try my best. <laughs> Teach <Look> the children. <laughs> <laughs> Give the children what they want, honey. That's it. How are you? I am very good. Um, and seeing the circumstances, I, I'm in a great mental space at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, financially, of course, like most artists around me, um, I'm struggling more than ever. Yeah, I um, but I'm. I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. Uh, I have um, a roommate that I get along with very well. <laughs> um, so I have nothing to complain about, really. That's it. Do you have, how are you dealing with the situation? Like, um, there's this like really big pressure right now to be super productive, right? And kind of like maintain this like, um, overproduction of let's say art or whatever it is you're doing anyway. How, how are you dealing with that? Uh? Yeah. So we're so used to living that rushed life all the time. And society tells us that we need to be productive and we need to, uh, bring our, our value into society. Mm -hmm. 
And best thing we can do in this time is, um, first of all, take a rest. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's really um, enough. You yeah. know? That's enough yeah, for yeah, them yeah. to do. They've been working so hard. And um, so take this time to rest and then you know, reflect on what do you really find important in mm -hmm. life. And um, um, that's the thing, actually, me too. Like uh, when this thing started, I was like, oh, my God, yes, I can actually fucking chill. Because it's like, girl, I mean, hopefully we're not going to be facing a pandemic every year. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, now that we do, your kid fucking sucks, obviously. But like you don't have to kind of like uh, perpetuate the exact same power structures that like you were part of before. Like this is actually a time also to reflect and just chill rather than just keep on like pushing yourself to create like or having this end goal in mind let's say that we always do uh, in under capitalism exactly but yeah. anyway we're not here to talk about corona we're here to talk about your art yeah you can follow brian on every platform under uh exo chelsea boy yes right yeah on exactly. instagram and chelsea boy on facebook True. as well right yeah yeah okay cool so you're part of the house of hopeless if i'm not mistaken yes nice and you guys are like uh like your 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 perform at club church mostly right yeah so i usually perform at club church mm -hmm. um club church hosts the house of hopeless basically and um I, yeah i i miss that place the most out of everything right now i miss mm -hmm. my sister so much we do zoom meetings every week um and yeah, I just love that place so much. The energy there is always so yeah, vibrant. Yeah, yeah. On yeah. Thursdays especially. I mean, actually, I've only been on Thursdays. Yeah. But the energy is, like, fucking amazing on Thursdays because there is this, like, sexual liberation that is not forced. And then you also have, like, amazing drag to, like, watch when you're, like, just a little bit fucked up, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And there's just, like, as a performer, there's just mm -hmm. such freedom that you can mm -hmm. feel because people come with such an open mind and they... Um, whatever you choose to to do, wh whatever story you want to convey, um, they are there with open eyes, open ears mm -hmm. to see what how you do, and um, and it's just really great. Yeah, actually, that's where I, that's where we met for the first time. I saw you perform at church, uh, and I see this like creature come out that looked like <laughs> like action man baron acid you know yeah. what i mean and i was like oh this is gonna be cool and to be quite honest i expected something like super hardcore or something like really like i don't know energetic and uh -huh. then you perform to like every breath you take which is actually how we opened the podcast as well yes. and i was like what the fuck and i was just like so enamored because i was also like quite drunk to be quite honest it was just like, ah, you know, it was, yeah. it was a very nice uh, moment. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was beautiful. So how would you describe your drag, actually? Do you have, like, any specific influences? I do. I have many influences. Um, what I, How I like to describe Chelsea mm -hmm. Boy is that Chelsea Boy is a transforming superhero on a mission to make people feel good. <laughs> nice, so I love that. So I don't have a certain set of rules that I use. Um, any look can be completely different from the other one. Uh, I just try to create from a place where I look at things I like. Mm -hmm. I take from um, many different corners um, of art, of movies, of music, and uh, to create um, my own art. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, and actually, it's very like... Um, 
it's a very vintage feel to what action figures like an action hero would look like to be quite honest because it's not um you 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 do use like very bright colors and very like sharp angles especially yes. in your makeup yeah, you I know always, what i mean i always say i use the colors that a, uh, a, let's say a four-year-old child <laughs> can mention you know? so it's the primary and secondary colors and maybe black and white and that's it nice no 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 yeah. it's super fucking cool especially the last look you did i was like oh you called me at like four in the morning morning when i was like um with a friend just drinking you're like hey it was like full face full beard yeah. i'm like work bitch nice. but exactly that's that's and that's my goal like to just surprise people and just to make them feel good and like have a laugh you know it is it is amazing it is amazing though okay before we get a little bit more into your references and talking about your drug let's go into supernature by serone serona i don't i don't know how to fucking serone serone okay cool nice Let's get into it, honey. So when I um, saw you perform, right, um, I I was like really surprised, right, because uh, um, it was not what I expected at all. Mm -hmm. um, I you, you sing live yes. for the people that haven't seen you perform uh, so far, um, and you chose songs that I wouldn't necessarily like attribute to the image that you push across as like Chelsea Boy. So, like, that are very emotional, actually, like every breath you take. Is there a specific reason for the choice of songs around it? Yeah, so my, my stance is basically that I portray myself as a superhero. Mm -hmm. And um, in that, when I'm on stage, I want to give you that feeling that you are that superhero as well. And I want you to feel good about yourself. And I want you to know your value and your power. And... Um, but if I would choose very hardcore songs, like you just mm -hmm. said, that would just make this this supernatural superhero yep. uh, persona on stage, which it's very hard to relate to. So instead, I choose to do very vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, 80s ballads, so to say, to kind of humanize that superhero-esque um, uh, vision that mm -hmm. you're looking at. So that it's that you know that you can relate to yeah um you actually mentioned this like uh in ad and i i actually got it after i thought about it a little bit longer and so you like perform a couple of times that um this meaning that you're trying to perpetuate like super beautiful because it is like um it is a sort of oxymoron i guess uh having something 
like there's something super poetic about an action figure seeing all these like emotional songs that are then thus the performance itself is being taken to a very like human level you know what i mean and yes. um so that's how it's kind of like uh, what i get at least is this humanization of courage and this courageous persona and then on the other hand the hidden subtext is what you said too to actually showing that it takes a lot of fucking strength to be that vulnerable right now exactly and and that's exactly what it's about it's about courage and it's about finding uh the right sources within you or maybe outside of you to guide you uh to where you wish to go uh for me one method is putting on that superhero suit uh it allows me to kind of step over the edge mm -hmm. and uh dive in the deep um and at the same time it's a metaphor saying any of us is already a superhero um you don't need to wear a cape like i do and and <laughs> you know i want you to feel that yeah that's amazing yeah. that is that is very beautiful yeah i mean talk about vulnerability girl like first podcast i was like oh my god me personally as a person i'm like we get it bitch we get it you're a person like we understand but no i mean that's it like you i don't know there's this like really big like pressure on us to kind of like never fail and then on top of that actually never really admit that we fail or like admit that we have feelings exactly and it actually did take me like a while on a personal level i mean to be able to for example say to someone i love you and i care for you and i'm proud of you and your progress and all that because it is very vulnerable you know what yeah. i mean showing your emotions and it really really does take a lot more courage than just putting on this persona of being like super like cool or like oh i don't care but i care enough to show you how much i don't care or like yeah hey. and i think that's why i'm so ins that's one of the reasons mm -hmm. because i can talk for hours why i'm inspired by the 80s but i think that's one of the reasons uh -huh. that i'm inspired by the 80s is because it's this i'm a millennial i grew up with the internet yeah. everything i learned about the 80s i learned through music movies through storytelling mm -hmm. from my parents um so it's a pre-internet era yeah. and what i love i have this like imagination about it where it's just a lot more raw and pure and um nowadays with the internet we kind of have to uphold this this image all of the time yeah. and i would much rather be in a place or even if it in, is in my imagination because i don't have the power yet to show myself mm -hmm. uh as that vulnerable uh being um yeah, like the eighties, like what I love about the eighties is the fact that like the movies itself that were being produced at the time had like this very like cheesy. Right now, uh -huh. we see it as cheesy, um, but it's also super honest. You know what I mean? It is very honest. And if you look, if you listen to disco songs, for example, the the yeah. the music is mysterious, but also very upbeat. And um, the lyrics, if you listen to the lyrics, you'll always hear. Um, things like uh, tonight and heart and mm -hmm. forever. It's this very, it's very dramatic and very heartfelt. But yeah, at the yeah, same yeah. time, the formulation of the lyrics is very simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I really love about it. Yeah, actually, and the eighties right now, like taking on a different level, right? Like with the eighties having this like really big like um um like increase in kind of like economic value and capitalism and consumerism that was also kind of like the foreground of the club kid movement, right? Mm -hmm. It it just kind of like pushes this agenda of always consuming more, of always like never really having enough. Um, which wasn't the case in the 80s because you had this kind of like social reformation and we had the power suit, for example, right, in fashion, where women were kind of like could wear a suit and did go in the workforce and did kind of like fight for all these things. So it was a very like um, 
it was the application of the work that was being done in the 70s i mm-hmm. feel but also there was like very very big like um social inequalities as well so i think it's a very important era to go back to and kind of like refigure now but beyond that right um because most of your songs are kind of like from that era or around do you have any favorite performances of yours that you've done in the past um i would say any performance at club church uh one better than the other i must <laughs> say and we've all you know a lot of people have seen it um but it's just the energy there is so captivating and like i said people are so open and supportive and it really gives you that freedom to experiment mm-hmm. and that has made me grow so much as an artist so i would definitely say any yeah. performance at club church yeah yeah and there's um, like sex parties as well in club church is just like su- super like sexually free which exactly. which to me like i mean i was very surprised when i first moved to amsterdam i was like oh what there's like a club that you can actually have sex in like what the yes. fuck but i mean that's beautiful you know that's amsterdam you know and and this also um uh helps me to feel free there mm-hmm. to do whatever i want because if there's if there's someone before me or after me that is doing a sex show then yeah. what is gonna hold me back from doing everything that i want yeah yeah, on yeah. That stage? exactly i mean usually because I, i i like to dress up quite femme right um especially okay i told you i haven't actually been to any other day in club church but on, on thursdays especially it's like I wear my fucking heels. I want to feel like an oriental right, princess. Right, And I do exactly. that. And, and then there's just like naked people. I'm like, oh, you can judge. Your dick is out. You know what I mean? It's fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly It's what very, it very cool. Um, and you performed as well like in Milkshake, I presume, right? Yes, I performed at Milkshake. I believe it was maybe two, three times. Okay, um, nice. Also a great, great audience and um, a very big stage and... Yeah, this is also a place where I live up to. It's mm-hmm. it's something that I really miss. When I heard the summer's canceled, I, mm-hmm. I was a real bomber. Um, because this place also allows me to really live up to that, to prepare a really nice performance and to really just celebrate mm-hmm. that moment with the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially for music. Fe- it is a music. Fe- I've never been actually. It, it is a music festival, right? Essentially. Yes, essentially yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to go last year, but I was in Cyprus at the time. So then, uh, you know. But anyway, so music. I guess it, I know it plays an important role in your uh, performance and your, in your performances and your creativity. But like, what else? Like, how about movies? I don't know, any specific designers that you like or favorites? Uh, I don't know. Um, I take inspiration from, from like many different things. Sometimes it mm-hmm. comes from something inside myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it comes from movies, series. Uh, I love the whole... Um, Uh, library on Netflix. Uh, they have a huge li- uh, sci-fi library. Yeah. Um, I love original 80s movies that I take a lot of inspiration from. Of course, I also look at uh, many great designers. Um, I love pop art designers mm-hmm. like Moschino, mm, uh, but then also very, fu- very high fashion like Mugler. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uh, there's this uh, Belgian designer. Um, at least he studied in Belgium. He now lives in um, New York, uh, and his brand is named Windowsen. And he has oh, yeah. such such a cool aesthetic. Yeah, yeah that's fucking so, sick. So so yeah, this is this is stuff that I take inspiration from. But I always like to to take it, twist it around, and see what's in it for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So how about like um, a process? Do you have like a specific creative process when you create a look? Or a performance, um, 
and like how how is that i mean do you kind of like i'm i'm a, like on my part for example right i hear a song let's say and i'm like ooh mm-hmm. i'd love to perform to this song and i think of the feeling that it comes out that it takes out of me so then i'm like okay if this is the feeling i want to push out uh-huh. how is the way to kind of like go through that so what do you have a specific process does the end meaning to you come first or is the visual idea first that you later shape um well this is really always different that's yeah, yeah, that's how my ideas can be different like i don't really have a set uh, a set rules that i work with um but i definitely would say both ways sometimes um uh the meaning comes first mm-hmm. and you look for ways to convey that message but i think the other way is actually quite similar um it's where an idea you think an idea just pops up in your head mm-hmm. but then later on you find out there is a meaning and i don't think they just come to you out of nowhere yeah. i think there there is always a hidden meaning so basically one is conscious and the other one is subconscious and mm-hmm. you just have to find out so yeah. either way that the meaning is always there you just have to find it yeah yeah basically yeah. Uh, so since we're talking about meaning and intrinsic kind of like uh, responses to that, I like I love like your aesthetic and I love the whole like club kid aesthetic. Thank you so much. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> darling. Um, because it's like there's like a very like big part of it being gender fluid, right? Yes. Because when I see you like uh, dressed up, I mean, I don't think like oh, it's action man. No, no, no. It's just this creature, right? Yes. It's like um, it's a bit like a uh, silver surfer. From mm-hmm. like uh what is it Fantastic Four was it the cartoon Yes Yeah you know yes. what I mean that yeah he has like male cues let's say but you wouldn't call him like a man you know what I mean it's it's just an it's an action figure so Exactly it, so it goes beyond gender So how do you identify what are you what are your pronouns Me personally I uh I'm comfortable with with any pronouns mm-hmm. whether it being he she they um I'm comfortable with all of them um my gender identity is something I've um i've struggled a lot for a long time mm-hmm. with um but actually when i think back i've always been very fluid mm-hmm. um my my drag was always more feminine mm-hmm. um when i started out yep. and then i realized within this feminine um uh frame so mm-hmm. to speak i don't feel free to create uh as i want yep. so at one point i kind of had to like step out of it completely yep. to to realize um this is not this is not working for me mm-hmm. uh then to later on create this new persona in which I like to leave gender in the middle mm-hmm. um and you know there's there's in the last 5 10 years there's been great um education there's been great knowledge being shared about different gender identities and um learning about gender fluidity and gender nonconformity uh i started kind of doubting my own gender identity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um today i'm trying to operate freely from these terms as much as i can yep. um because i feel for me personally they overcomplicate things mm-hmm. um at times i kind of feel like there's a power in saying i am a man while expressing myself the way i do yep. but then at the end i i don't really see that there's any purpose for me yeah. identifying my gender. Yeah, but yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more actually. Uh it is like at the end of the day it's kind of like an accumulation of gender cues around and behaviors yeah. that is processual too. It's not just like oh, now I'm a man. I decided like and actually that was the same for me as well because um I look the way I look, right? Which is quite mm-hmm. masculine, let's say, but the way I carry myself, I it definitely is not. Um so it also depends on kind of like what importance you give to each cue if like the um, 
appearance is what identifies the inside or if it's the inside that is kind of like perpetuated outside, at least for me. And actually my favorite thing to do, like favorite, is to confuse guys the, especially the ones that like want to flirt with me, right? Mm-hmm. Super like macho, you know? Yeah. All that vibe. Because like I look like this. So they're like, oh yeah, sure. Actually, I would totally go there. He has a And beard. they lower their voice, said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they kind of like, they come like, oh my God, hey girl. And I'm like there with like a thong and like a dress. And they're like, wait, I would fuck him, but he is dressed like this. So they can't compute. Yeah. You know they're, what I mean? totally, they're totally confused. Wait, where's yeah. the sound effect? There is a sound effect somewhere. Is it this Bam! one? No, it's not this one. It's not this one. <laughs> no. Nope. Which one is it? Was it the one in the right corner? <laughs> yeah. That's it, bitch. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, for me, actually, I've um, as as a teenager, I was quite feminine, and then I at one point discovered mm-hmm. this was only quite recent, like three years ago, I think, where I realized I've always been kind of suppressing my masculinity because for me, I linked masculinity straight on to. Haha, uh-huh, straight on pun intended. <laughs> to to uh, heteronormativity, and I learned that those are two separate things. And you know, you can you can we're all we're all um uh how to say um made out of two opponents. Oh you know? yeah. So we're all we all have masculine influences and feminine. Um, oh yeah, for sure. In, inside of us, and we cannot operate without either of those and what i did was i suppressed that masculine side Mm -hmm. um but then i realized so wait a minute if masculinity is not the same as heteronormativity then what does masculinity mean to me Mm -hmm. um and so i went on to kind of experiment and to find out what masculinity means to me yep um and i kind of did that and now i'm in this phase where i'm trying to like blend in um both my masculine side and my feminine side to just you know, go back to a more real version of myself. Yep, couldn't agree more. Actually, um, when I first moved in Amsterdam, right? Because, yeah, I was obviously quite feminine in Cyprus too. It didn't just start here. But here I could, like, really let go and really, like, um, dress myself in a specific way or carry myself in a specific way. And I had been doing that for a while. But then when I moved back to Cyprus for a couple of months and came back after living here for almost two years now, I realized that, like, girl, you don't have to try that hard either. Yeah. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, you can be fluid. You can I, I, don't, I don't identify as, like, gender fluid, to be honest. I see myself a bit more, like, gender queer. Because mm-hmm. some days, uh, the binaries obviously don't exist as essential parts of identity. But some days, I generally just feel, like, more manly, let's say. Yeah. Ew, she's mask. No? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? No, no, no. But I, what I'm trying to say is that, like, some days, I don't feel comfortable wearing a skirt. Or I don't feel comfortable right, wearing like right. platforms or having my nails painted. I just want to be in like a tracksuit and uh, you know a sweatshirt. You exactly. know exactly. And you should be able to just wake up and you know sense your feelings and and be like, okay, I feel like a fucking fairy tale today, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna dress up accordingly. Yeah. Um. Or I feel like this very butch energy, and then you then you. Uh, put on some leather or um, mask you know, for mask, right? <laughs> you know, but 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 that's exactly what we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. Is ju- that um, we shouldn't suppress our masculinity no, either no, because no, no, no. we sometimes tend to do that, and we're we're made out of both sides. Yep. Let's go into a song and then get a little bit more into gender, right? Let's do it.
So that was White Horse by Jessica Six. I'll be Jessica Ooh. Nine. Those are my all, all my personalities. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, gender. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> weird. I don't know her. She doesn't exist. But no, seriously, <laughs> I always say that the only thing that's like straight about me is the fact that I'm a straight up bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even like that straight, even that statement is gender. And straight itself. up trash too. Oh yeah, that's true. That's at least she's recyclable. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, in one of your interviews, right? We've talked about this uh, briefly. Uh, you saying with ID, check out the interview, by the way. It's on ID Netherlands. Super cool with a lot of like very beautiful performers from Amsterdam. You say that when, when I discovered over the years that the over the top feminine form of drag no longer suited me, I quit for a while. Um, you've talked about how you treat gender and how you see femininity and masculinity, but was there something specific that sparked this realization or was it just kind of like a natural process to you? Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I've always wanted to create freely of gender mm -hmm. roles in my drag. And back then I didn't feel like I had that freedom to do mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I quit for a while. And I think there's a kind of a parallel to, to my own personal uh, gender identity and my experiences is yep. that where I missed that masculine, where I was ignoring and suppressing that masculine mm -hmm. side inside myself, I was doing that as well in my drag and it was bothering. I wasn't conscious of it, but it was bothering me in a way. Yep. Um, and therefore I had to like completely step out of that frame and, um, and then get back doing it in a way that I can, implement my masculinity and my femininity and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah and i kind of want to leave uh at this point i kind of want to leave gender in the middle when mm -hmm. i do my drag yeah um but to, in order to do that you kind of have to play with those uh banal um stereotypes stereotypes and, and, yeah, yeah. and, and body parts even and mm -hmm. to to kind of be fluid in that way to go forth and back and like um yeah really uh, leave that question open yeah, that's the thing. I mean, um, I I call my performances like gender fuck because um, I don't fuck gender and I don't play around with gender in the same way that you do, which is yours is like very impactful visually, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I do it as kind of like um, with the way I dance and kind of like the meaning around that because imagine like right. I, do, I do belly dancing, right? And especially yeah. I do Turkish belly dancing as a Greek Cypriot. I love it. You know, so it's like, it's, it's intense. But actually that made me... Mm, the way people treat me as a performer um, or whatever they see that more visual side of me is uh, very different from how they treat me personally, right? Because it's, like, it's like um, whenever I get off stage or something, everyone obviously wants to come and tell you how great you are. Or if actually once um, at the last Dumped Queer Night, this girl came up to me and told me that she didn't really feel included in my performance and the way what I was saying basically, which I loved because mm -hmm. the point is not for everyone to just come and kiss your ass. The point is to spark a conversation, right? And we reached a conclusion anyway in the end that we had like very different ideas of what queerness means. I personally believed or hoped that anyway, at least, that my performance was quite inclusive for everyone, but she didn't feel like it. And that's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not personal, yeah. like it's and, art. And your performance doesn't have to speak to every single person yep. in the room. It's yeah, okay yeah. if it doesn't speak to you in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like, cause I, how do you feel about this split between like individual and performer? Like, is it different for you if you're dressed up going to a gig, let's say, um, than when you're just flamboyantly dressed up as a boy in everyday life? Uh, how do you like, um, Kind of like you know how do you experience this split if you do um i must say for me like when you're 
performing in a festival or a party mm-hmm. or in a club night, um, people kind of um, can take what you do more easily mm-hmm. and they look at you in a way that they can understand because you're on a stage. Yeah, yeah. And so they look at you kind of in a way of like you're a clown and an entertainer. Yep. And um, in daily life, when you dress up weirdly, people don't didn't come mentally prepared for you <laughs> to walk on the street, you know, very uh, t- rightly put. towards yeah. them that day. So, so they kind of have this confusion or this, like they have to think of this, they, they're trying to frame, frame mm-hmm. uh, your appearance mm-hmm, in a way mm-hmm. that they can make sense of it. And when you're on a stage, it's very easy to do because you're there for entertainment. Mm-hmm. But when you're walking on the street, you're not. So I think that's for me, the biggest difference that I experience. Yeah. 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 That actually, you put that so eloquently. They're not r- mentally ready for you at that moment, and right? it is very, very true. Um, it's always like, especially when I'm like, for example, with his dark elements, right? Then I just need to go to Radion super early. Then obviously, I'm gonna end up at some after party. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so I have to kind of like take the subway, uh, the subway, lol, take the metro, wearing this big ass fucking like fur and like a dress with a full face of makeup, looking like I don't know a fucked up alien, and then I'm. <laughs> like what is going on what is life people can't human when they see me but i love that yeah. i love that yeah, yeah yeah i say that like my two favorite things is like making people feel confident and making people feel awkward about what they're doing um and i think that's actually the nightlife in amsterdam in general to be quite honest you feel super like comfortable in it but then there's like it is a bit overwhelming especially if you're not used to it you know what yeah I mean? but it has to be if you mm-hmm. want to spark um uh a question, even a question in a person, you know, you have to kind of um, pull them outside their comfort zone. Oh, 100%, yes. If that's by, you know, your crazy outfit or performance, Mm -hmm. you know, that can sometimes help. And even if it's overwhelming for people, they have um, mental work to do with it. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. The point is to kind of like make people think, ask people to think, not make them think, I feel usually because then it, it also gets a bit forced and that's not nice either but let's talk a bit about the nightlife in amsterdam because uh, there's like a lot of club kids here and a lot of forms of drag a lot yes. of like clubs do you have any favorite performers places uh, parties oh wow where to start like uh, first of all what i love about amsterdam is there's so many different mm-hmm. forms of drag mm-hmm. and forms of uh performers that um and we all get along so well and we're all so supportive of each other um, so that's something I really always celebrate and mm-hmm. I've said it many million times. People probably hear me say it before, but I just want to always mention that. Um, of course, I love my sisters from House of Hopeless. Yeah, you guys um, are sick. Actually, yeah, as there's a group, a, like, yeah, yeah. almost 30 of them. So I'm not going to name <laughs> names because I'm you know, going to probably um, uh, not name people. Yeah. Um, there's there's great drag still in the Regliers Dwarstraat, mm-hmm. um, where where the uh, aesthetic is very um, feminine um, and more classical, I guess. Yeah, classical, but also much more in a progressive way. Like, yeah, it's a new take on the oldies. Yeah, you know and if mean? you if you um, if you look at, for example, the drag. The, sorry, the club kids from from the '90s. Um, the emphasis, which m- was much more on their outfits yep. and their makeup, they did their makeup according to their outfit. Yep. And nowadays, like the the whole makeup industry and consumerism has blown up so much mm-hmm. um, that there's there's a trillion um, 
you know sources for yep. makeup to be found and um so that is much more uh the emphasis nowadays and i love that we can all inspire each other in different ways mm-hmm, um that's um yeah. i don't know to be honest uh the reason i love house of hopeless um it's because it is very subversive right and that's very up my wheelhouse and the way i think um kind of like because it is very political right very political and it's very yeah. outrageous like each and every single one of you like are doing something different something super um non-normative you know what i mean and that resonates very very well with me exactly basically thank you but yeah it's beautiful beautiful and, and you did win the what is it called super bowl right no i did not I'll actually tell you a little story about okay. that. Okay. So um, there was a, um, um, let's say, a public prize uh-huh. uh, that were that they were handing out, and um, I was just attending as a guest, and I was all dressed up. It was the one mm-hmm. with the Pikachu horns. Oh and, yeah, um, I remember that. You look. know, and the and the spacesuit, and um, I was just you know in between the shows, I was smoking, mm-hmm. and at one point somebody came up to me, and they were like. Um, Chelsea boy, what are you doing here? Your name has been called out like 10 times to get on stage. What? Because you've been nominated <laughs> for the public prize. And in fact, I was up there smoking. So I missed the entire thing. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So that was funny. No, I never won uh, Super Bowl, but I, I attend every edition. This year was supposed to be the sixth, mm-hmm. uh, sixth edition, um, which is postponed, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um But that is also an amazing place that that's such a celebration and like all different types of drag come together mm-hmm. there. Um, it's evolving as well. Yeah. You know, their club kids are getting involved. Um, f- uh, female entertainers are, mm-hmm. are and, and non-binary um, entertainers yeah. are being involved yeah. as well. So it's so progressing so fastly. Yeah. Um, so that is also an amazing platform. That That, that is very important. Like yeah. I, I will never understand kind of like this sexism that is within the gay community as well. Uh-huh. In the queer community, not really to be quite honest, but in the gay community, there, there is a lot of fucking sexism, yes. you know? And it's like, why can't there be bio queens? Why can't women be drag queens? Why can't non-binary people be drag queens? You know what I mean? Um, exactly. It's fucking weird. But anyway, it's time to start closing up before we go to our last song. Do you have any other plans in mind for the future that you'd like to share with us or accomplish in general? Wembley Stadium. <laughs> Work bitch. No. Um, nice. no, definitely in the near future I wanna just keep uh experimenting, exploring my art, mm-hmm. share it with with uh people and um yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna do. That's okay. what I'm gonna keep doing. Do you have any advice as the last word where that you would give someone that would wanna start performing in the same way as you do? Um definitely Try, try, and try. Just um, experiment. Try new things. Ask around. Uh, don't be afraid to to ask questions. Show yourself. Some mm-hmm. some people like to practice first before they show themselves. Mm-hmm. But you know, either way is fine. Whatever uh, comforts you most, mm-hmm. do it the way it feels good for you, and don't let other tell tell you mm-hmm. in which way you need to do it. I think that's most important. Yeah, that is the, yeah. The find your own advice. voice. Uh, Find your own creative voice mm-hmm. and let it out. That was beautiful. Okay, so lovely people, we have come to the end of our podcast. This was your host, George Rallis, alongside Chelsea Boy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, baby, for coming. And this was Quintessentially Queer. Wait, I need the sound effect. Yes! Oh my God, that is beautiful. 
So thank you so much for coming. You can follow uh, me uh, on Instagram under Gravity Grave and on Facebook under Quintessentially Queer. Follow my radio on all platforms, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and Brian under XO Chelsea Boy on Instagram and Chelsea Boy on Facebook. Thank you again, Brian, for coming. Thank you. And now let's go to the end of our podcast with Promise Me by Beverly Craven. Thank you.